So we're on quite early. Yeah, I'm just trying to fit everyone in, like, you know? I'm just surprised to see your mob higher up the bill. No. Really? Are we? Aye. How long's your slot? Um, I don't know. Uh, 18 minutes. I checked. Oh, yeah, that's right. 18. And remind me, uh, how long is I don't like Mondays? I'd say probably like four minutes. Three minutes, 52 seconds. Yeah. I checked. Right. So you're going to play four times? <laughs> I mean, come on, Midge. I... <laughs> We do have other songs. We <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <I> do. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Oh, come on, Midge. Don't be like that. Like what? what the... Right, Midge. Well, it's lovely speaking to you, but just go on and have fun like everyone else, please. I've got to get past you now. Jesus Christ, the crazy bastard. Eighties Ogrophy. Random question. What is Midge Hill? Welcome to 80sography and a very special episode and a very personal one too. Uh, my very first musical awakening was due to mid-year in Ultravox. And as an eight-year-old, the very first single I bought was by Ultravox. And the first album I owned as a nine-year-old was an Ultravox album. Christmas in 1981, I remember it well. And I've continued to love the man's music for over 40 years. So to speak to him was a real bucket list moment. And I knew only at half an hour, so in terms of options, I knew I couldn't do an audio commentary or a typical my discography, and, and I didn't think it would do it justice to do an anatomy of a song. So I thought, I've been thinking about this for a while, for those kind of guests where you only get 20, 30 minutes to do random questions, which effectively is just an extended quickfire round. So that's what we have here. So enjoy these 80s-related random questions with the truly great Majeur. The interview starts now. Hello. Hey. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. All right. I was half believing this wasn't going to happen. It was just like a figment of my imagination. I wasn't going to end up speaking to you. Well, I was, I was, um, I was sitting on a beach when I got the message saying oh. uh, from from Erica saying, "Hey, <laughs> you're on. making me feel guilty on. now." Sorry, man. Sorry. All right. Don't you worry about it. Absolutely fine. Where's the beach? Uh, Portugal. Oh, lovely. Do you live yeah. there or is this holiday? Um, well, the kind of extended holiday, but we came down about six weeks ago and uh, <laughs> no, no hurry to go back. There's nothing, yeah. right <laughs> exactly. now, there's nothing to go back you? for. All the tours have all been, you know, except the Howard one, of course, have all been kind of put back to the either the end of this year or the beginning of next year. So, so you know, it's, I'm, I'm here working. I've got a little studio set up here. So I'm here working on new material and things. So, oh, is that an album? Uh, two. Well, you know, lockdown does that to you. You get <laughs> album fever. I don't know when you when you're not out doing fifty percent of your life is touring. Of course, you know you're out there doing it. 
50% of it's being in the studio. And uh, so all of a sudden, I've got 100% of the studio time. So I've been working on three different albums at the same time. <laughs> so I've not finished any of them. Well, I've, I've kind of finished one, but I've not finished the other two. So I'm getting on with the work. How are they three albums? They're three different projects then? Are they three different approaches to making an album? Well, I think I think you get bored. When you're doing everything yourself, you kind of get bored uh, with the process uh, because the only the only measure you have of uh, telling if it's any good or not is time. So you have to take you have to take a break from it, walk away from it, because there's no one else around you to go. That's not so good, you know. Maybe you should work in that middle eight, or maybe that needs a bit more, you know, oomph or something. So you just got to walk away from it. Uh, uh, so the the regular album, what I'll call the song album, uh, has been going on for about three years, maybe four years. Uh, I've yet to finish that. Um, uh, then I decided that uh, I wanted to do an, a completely instrumental album, you know, sort of textural, ambient, filmic, mm-hmm. cinematic music, uh, which I've done and, and kind of completed. And then there was big requests for an orchestrated part two, you know, fully orchestrated. Oh, yes, yes. So, so we started kind of working on that, but I don't profess to know anything about orchestras or how to score or write for them. Um, so I have to depend on my my partner on that one, my music partner on that one. Um, so we've started it, but uh, we're nowhere near completed yet. Okay, excellent. All right. I'm going to get on to the 80s because I haven't got you for long. So, oh, it's 7 o'clock. I've got a full 30 minutes. Thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate you doing this. Oh, it's not um, I can guarantee you one thing, Midge, right? There'll be no questions on Vienna, Band-Aid or Live-Aid. And my first question to you... <laughs> that's, that's unusual. This is my first question to you is, what percentage of interviews you've done in the last 30 years have not referenced Vienna, Band-Aid or Live-Aid? Uh, zero. <laughs> absolutely that's absolute what i thought view. it would be interesting for you to like have an interview where you haven't got to cover those three topics because vienna exactly. i love it now that you've told me you're not covering those topics you've actually mentioned it so it's still zero. Oh, that's that's <laughs> that's a technicality that's harsh okay, okay all right I'll, I'll, let you off. I'll let you off i love vienna it's the first single i ever bought which i bore people on the podcast that listen to it every episode i tell them that but it's it's a lovely brilliant song but i thought it'd be interesting for you right um before i go to the random questions i've got my um Miffy tote bag here from my daughter. Oh, okay. Lovely. So I got other questions in, but one, I, I checked with David Bates. I asked him if he had any questions for you because I know you know David. So I interviewed him for the Tears of Fears season. His question is If you hadn't joined Slick, the Rich Kids, Ultra Boxing, Missy Visage, etc., what would you have done to earn a crust in Glasgow? Where would you be now? Well, I was an apprentice engineer. Uh, I think that was. That was the big thing that uh, you know my my parents kind of pushed me towards. You know, you, you get a skill at your fingertips, you'll be able to work for the rest of your life, and it's a good. It was a move up the ladder from my father, who was a you know drove a van all his life, um, and that's where they wanted me to go. But I can't see myself sticking that. You know, I I, I think in my in my weird world, uh, I suppose I would become some you know attic dwelling. You know, sculptor or painter or something. Not that I was very good at that stuff, but I think in, in my my vision of myself would have been a you know a, a starving artist in the garret. Yeah, it would have been something artistic. I, I think so. Yeah. Some, something, something, at least something creative. I'd love to have been good with my hands. You know, to you know to work with wood because when I go to like guitar workshops and stuff, and you see uh, you know see luthiers you know building instruments. The smell of the wood is just fantastic, and the machinery, and the, I just love mm. all that stuff. So I'd like to have been good at that, but I don't think I'd have the patience. Yeah, okay. Let's go into the random questions then. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, who would you have play you in a movie of your life, and what time period would the movie cover? Oh, I don't know. Um, I suppose these days you can do... You can take a little segment of someone's life and focus on it, if it's interesting enough, I suppose... Um, uh, uh, Martin Compton played me in a in a kind of spoof uh, comedy thing, which was brilliant. It it was un, it looked uncannily like me in a, in a spoof thing about um, Live Aid. Um, so I think that would be an obvious one to do. I should have known it would end like this. Do you want me to check on the snacks? Look, Mage, I didn't. After know- everything I've done, everything you've done, Mage. I've sacrificed my whole career for this. You didn't have one to sacrifice. What? Okay, boys, let's calm down. I want the bloody song, Bob. No, 
You wrote the theme tune to, to Zed cards and we changed the words. Oh, really? Well, at least I've got time. I'm sorry. Tell me, Bob, why don't you jump at the end of songs anymore? I don't know what you're talking about. You can't land on the beat. I can't what? Rockstar 101, and you can't do it. Oh, I can land on the beat. You're incapable of landing on the beat. You can land on the beat. That is not something you can do. I can land on the beat. You cannot. I can land on the beat. No! The beat cannot be landed. It, it could be interesting covering the, the, the period where I had just joined Ultravox, that, but nobody was really interested, and I flew on Concord to go and join Thin Lizzy uh, in a, an, a tour around America. Uh, as, a, as a kind of hired gun. I mean, my heart was with Ultravox, but I was a big Thin Lizzy fan when I was uh, younger. So I suppose that that could that could make something that could be quite interesting, simply because it covers the transition period from, I suppose, old school rock, which was what Lizzy and America were doing at the time, 1979, and the advent of technology synthesizers. Uh, you know, the kind of sucked-in cheek, raised eyebrow, uh, you know, electronica. So yeah. it would be an interesting period to cover. And I suppose it could be a bit of fun as well, you know, me romping my way around America, thinking this is just, you know, mad. I don't like I've seen it on television before. <laughs> okay. Uh, when If I Was was number one, did you hear from the other members of Ultravox to congratulate you? Um, I did because we were... Um, uh, we were rehearsing for a tour. You know, it was never meant to go to number one. It was a, it was, it was what I'd like to call a busman's holiday. You know, we had a break from Ultravox for for three months or six months or whatever it was. Um, just get off the kind of the, the mouse and the you know a, a little wheel thing that we were doing. And uh, and I, I wrote and recorded the album at that point just to do something simple. So yeah, when it got to number one, I think I think the day it got to number one. Um, we, we ended up going into the rehearsal room and, and, and carrying on uh, working for either the new album we were going to do or the tour we were about to do. So yeah, I did. I think I think it was a, a lot of you know uh, you know I think I think fairly genuine smiles. But I think it was a lot of oh my god, that's it. He's going to leave now. <laughs> One, I like this one. Okay, so in 1981, you were involved in seven singles that got in the top 40 in the UK. The lowest got to number 21. So seven top 21 singles. Vienna obviously is the most famous. Can you name the other six? Well, they're bound to be, uh, well, Fade to Grey, I suppose. That was 1980. Oh, that was 1980. There mm. you go. Thank you. That's, that's, yeah, I don't even know my own chronology. Um, uh, they've got to be Ultravox things then. So it must have been No Regrets. Must have been No No Regrets? No, that was 82. No, that was later. Okay. Oh, dear. <laughs> this is this is difficult. Um, Are you clear? Uh, there's three different artists involved. Another artist, Mick Carr? There's three. There's three different three artists. artists. Three other artists involved. So three oh. in total. Ultravox and two other artists. Do you know what? I've got absolutely no idea. Ultravox would have been... Uh, um, uh, all stood still. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, Lament. No, that was no. a year later. No, uh, yeah. 84. Um, oh, no, no, you've completely got me. Okay, so All Stood Still, Thin Wall and The Voice from Rage yep. and Eden. They're 81. And then there's three Visage singles. Oh, no, two Visage singles. So Mind of a Toy and Visage. And then Yellow Pearl with Phil Lennon. With Phil, of course. Right, okay. Yeah. See, so, yeah, I mean, it's... My time scale's not good. <laughs> I tell you, everything, everything happened a couple of years ago to me. Okay. <laughs>
Oh, yeah, something that I read in your autobiography. You said that with um, Love's Great Adventure, you were the first band to put a single on the greatest hits. Is that actually true? I don't know. I, I, I open my big mouth now and again. And so <laughs> I, I think, yes, I it think sounds I, good, doesn't it? No, but I think up until that point, uh, greatest hits were exactly that. It was the, the demise of an artist. Um, you know, usually when they'd gone, they'd put out the greatest hits or they'd moved out and were doing the, you know, the Butlins cabaret circuit or something. I don't know. But it was very odd for a band who were still very current to put out a greatest hits. Uh, and it's certainly greatest hits with a new single on it, with a new track on it. I think it's quite uh, it's quite a common thing these days. But then I don't I don't know if anyone else had ever done it before. Us was Love's Great Adventure ever um, considered as part of the Lament sessions, or was it exclusively for the greatest hits? It was it was an oddity. Um, I had been asked by uh, a long-winded story. I'd been asked by a, a friend to do some music for a Levi's commercial. And uh, um, Chris from the band and I, uh, it was very, very quick. We'd, we'd, we'd done this massive Levi's commercial with, uh, you know, a huge budget, not for us, but, you know, to shoot this thing. And uh, they decided at the very last second they didn't like the music. So they, someone said, uh, oh, what we need is like an Ultravox track on there. So they got in touch with me and said, look, can you write something? So I, I went to Little uh, Preview Theatre, saw the commercial, 30 seconds long, or a minute long, whatever it was, for the cinemas. Went home that night, wrote a piece of music, recorded it the next day, gave it to them, uh, they put it on the commercial, and it was a huge success. So they did a follow-up commercial, uh, that, that was Levi's, uh, Levi's Rivets, it was called. It was all about the rivets. The, the, the so they made a follow-up, Levi's Threads, and they said to me, look, this time you've got loads of time to write the music, um, but we don't want any melody. So I did this rhythmic thing for them. And then three months later, they came back and said, there's no tune. And we said, well, you said you didn't want a melody. So I gave you the, <laughs> said, no, no, we need, we need something with a tune. This rhythmicness. So I wrote, da -da 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 -da, the kind of love's great adventure type thing. And they went away and they were happy. And then they came back and said, can you put more bass on it? And I said, well, what bass drum, bass guitar, bass, just sonically more bass, what, what do you want? And they said, we want it to sound like touching a piece of formica. And at that point I said, thank you, uh, here's your money, I'll take my track, thank you very much. And what does that mean? What does that mean? I've got no idea. That's, that's where the two worlds didn't collide. We, yeah. we just, we, we missed each other uh, completely. I don't know what the touch, the, the feel of formica would sound like. And how is that even a good thing? What's so special about Smooth, I think they probably. Uh, okay. But at that point, I just said, no, 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 you're going to analyse this to death. Yeah. Which is what they do in the advertising world. Uh, and then eventually they'll get someone else to do the music. So, um, so yes, I, I bowed out gracefully. <laughs> Bassy and smooth. Okay, at what point during the recording of Fade to Grey do you ever think maybe we should keep this for Ultravox? Never. 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 Um, I, I had heard um, the original track uh, that Billy and um, uh, Chris Payne from Gary Newman's band, Billy was touring with Gary Newman at the time uh, when I was out doing my little stint with Thin Lizzy uh, to try and generate some income to get Ultravox up and running. And... Um, and they used to jam this this thing, and they recorded it when they got back, and it was called Toot City. But as a piece of music, it was fantastic. And when we were doing the Visage album, I asked Billy what he was doing with this thing, and he said, oh, I don't know. I said, well, give it to me, and I'll see if I can write a melody and some lyrics for it. And that was that was fade to grey, but it was never it was never mooted as an Ultravox track uh, uh, at all. But you know, fantastic piece of music and uh, an absolute joy to, you know, to get my hands on. We fight to cry. We fight to cry. 
classic, yeah. What is your favourite Ultravox amid your LP and why? I think it's a it's a fight. Um, there's a tie between uh, Rage in Eden uh, and uh, Lament. Excellent, and they're yes. very different records. You know, Rage in Eden, we, we did as a follow-up to Vienna. But we went to Connie Plank's studio in Germany with absolutely no songs at all. We wrote and created the entire thing in the studio. And it has a specific feel to it. It feels like we've been locked in the German farmyard for three months. Uh, and that's quite a quite a, a bold thing to do, especially when everyone around you wanted Vienna Part 2, which we were not going to do. Uh, and the, um, the Lament album, I think it was an interesting... Uh, collective is an interesting period in Ultravox's life. We were starting to dabble a bit with you know, little bits of Celtic music in there and, you know, different kind of atmospheres. Still still very filmic and cinematic, um, but, but I was very proud of both those records. And your favourite solo record? Favourite solo? Um, oh, that's difficult. I, I, was very, I was very pleased with um, uh, Fragile, which is my last solo record. Uh, again, I'd, I'd been I'd been told by All and Sundry, uh, by the record label, uh, don't produce it yourself, uh, don't write it yourself, um, don't play it all yourself, uh, don't do, don't do. And I went off and did it all myself, and it got the best reviews that I'd ever I'd ever gotten. So uh, one of us one of us was right. <laughs> so your advice is don't listen to advice. Yeah. Well. I take it, but take it all with a pinch of salt. Yeah, okay. I think you're surrounded by people who don't really know what they're doing either. Yeah, no one knows what they're really. Ultravox choices are exactly the same as mine. I think they're the two masterpieces, those two albums. I actually love those. I think I think um, reading your autobiography, a bit harsh on answers to nothing, because that's my favourite solo album of yours. I think it's some fantastic tracks on that. I think I, I think I was maybe disappointed in the, the album, not disappointed in the, the content of the album. I was disappointed in, in, uh, in its, its, uh, its lack of success. You know, like, like, like any artist is, you spend a lot, of, you put a lot of heart and soul in something. And then you you put it out there, and at that point you have nothing to do with it anymore. You know, all you can do is promote it and back it up, and go out and tour and tell people about it as much as possible. But I was I, I was very disappointed with the, um, the 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 kind of semi-negative response towards it. Although saying that, I mean, a lot of people now cite that as their favourite uh, solo album. Certainly in America, um, they, they cite it as their favourite solo record. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm proud of it. You know, they're, they're all my babies. You know, mm. I, 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 they belong to me. You know, all of them. So I've got to, I've got to look after them at some point and, and be proud of what they've done. Okay, last time you saw the other members of Ultravox, and is there any potential for more music from the four of you? Last time I saw all the members of Ultravox was uh, the night we'd we'd done f- four or five shows with Simple Minds in uh, in the UK. Um, we opened up special guests, and it was great fun. 
And uh, after the last one in London, uh, we played the O2 Arena and uh, all went our separate ways, saying Happy Christmas. You know, have a great. It was only a few days before Christmas and uh, went our separate ways. <laughs> Never saw anyone else again. Um, uh, it was such a weird bunch. When we got back together again after all that time apart, we, we knew we went back for good. Uh, we, we knew we'd seen so many artists come back and uh, and be kind of substandard. So we wanted to do this um, simply because it felt right to do it, uh, but it was never going to be a long-term thing. We'd, be, we'd spent so long doing individual projects and doing other things uh, than, than being in a band. And, you know, at the time I was, you know, I don't know what I was, I was, I was in my, you know, mid to, mid to late 50s and I was the youngest in the band. So I think us carrying on today with, with, with other members much older than I am might be a bit of a, bit of a, a hard task. There was no talk about never doing anything again. Uh, Billy announced that he was never touching Ultravox again, but I think that was because he was promoting a solo record of his and Everyone was asking about Ultravox, and I think he just got miffed mm. and, and said what he said. So. Yeah. Was that the problem with the Evox sessions then, was that you, you established yourself as a solo artist at this point, and to go back into a band kind of mentality where it's your one quarter of a whole, as opposed to being in charge of your own decisions, was that a problem then going back to that group ethos and having to like compromise? I think it was a problem going back on, on, on various levels. And I, I, don't, I don't mean this to be scathing and, uh, at all. You know, I, I love the guys and, I, and, and I, I learned a massive amount being an Ultravox. But when I was away from the band for the kind of, you know, two-year period or whatever it was, um, they said, oh, we're, we're, we're writing in the studio. And I said, oh, great. Well, when I get back, you know, we'll, we'll carry on. And I, would, I, I walked in and I listened to some of the stuff and I, I was kind of lost. I didn't really know... Uh, what it was I was listening to it didn't sound like Ultravox a lot of it um, and and subsequently the album that we, we made you know Uvox was very splintered and I'm partly as much responsible for that as anyone else in fact maybe even more so you know I was you know I was working I wanted Ultravox to work with the Chieftains of all things you know and, and all fall down Billy wanted to work with an orchestra with George Martin and you know all in one day um and we had brass sections on it, and we just seemed to have lost our way, which is, which is um, totally understandable considering, you know, we've been apart for two years. You know, most relationships don't last a two-year, you know, mm. sojourn. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and ours certainly didn't. Maybe had we stuck with it and, and, and uh, seen it through to its ultimate conclusion, uh, we, we would have come back with a better record to kind of finish on. Which we did many years later when we came back with Brilliant, uh, which I still think is a very good record. So, so yeah, we just lost the weight, really. I think that happened. When's the last time you listened to Uvox all the way through? Because there are a lot of that. I mean, I would say there's, there's five really good tracks, actually six really good tracks, but I think All Fall Down really is a mid-your song, isn't it? It doesn't fit on a Ultravox record. It, it, it doesn't really, I suppose, and it's maybe because I've been working with, you know, Paddy and, and a lot of, you know, acoustic, and acoustic instrumentation, stuff like that. Um, it's, it doesn't really fit on there. But I can't really listen to the record, even though we produced it ourselves. I just think it was a bit of a mishmash. You know, we, we worked with Connie Blank on that record mm. and then came back and, and ended up remixing a lot of the stuff because um, we weren't happy with it. And I don't think it was the mixes that was a problem. I think it was maybe the lackluster content we put in, or the lackluster energy. Uh, we should, you know, we should have put in something more than we did. We thought we were doing the right thing at the time. Of course, like you do, mm. sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees, and it's not until you've released it and then step back from it and go, "Really, I'm not that sure. I don't know."
I have very happy memories of that for Christmas '86 with the double sleeve on vinyl. And it just, yeah, I, I think it's good. It's a good album. Okay, three words to describe Ultravox members in the '80s, starting with Billy Curry. Three words to describe Billy Curry in the '80s: uh, uh, genius, uh, uh, difficult, and brother. Brother. Okay, um, Warren can. Uh, can I use some of the same words? Yeah. Right, okay. I'm going to say brother again. Uh, Warren was always like a big brother to me. Um, uh, uh, placid. Um, and uh, yeah, unique. Unique, okay. And crisscross? Um, uh, sidekick. Can you do that as one word? Yeah, that's one word, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, a friend and instigator. Instigator. In what sense was he the instigator? Well, it's funny because it, it's. It, uh, I think Chris will be the first person to say he's not. He's not. A, a, you know, the, the greatest musician in, on the planet, but he's brilliant at being the glue that holds everything together. Um, and uh, and sometimes you kind of forget that. But uh, but no, he's 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 uh, he was responsible for keeping everyone. You know, happy. You know, content. Uh, making sure that all the ideas gelled. Um, you know, as well as you know, you know, a musician. Um, so yeah, instigator. He instigated a lot of uh, interesting things with us. Okay. Is there a song from the eighties you feel is the one that got away that either didn't do as well as you thought it would, or it just didn't work in the studio as well as when you'd written it? Is that one that springs to mind? Um, uh, lots of most of them I, think. <laughs> I, could do, I could do a fantastic They Got Away album um, or the ones that got away uh, is this solo or anything anything at all anything, anything in the 80s what, when I ask the question what springs to mind right okay um, I'm going to say uh, 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 Dear God I think um, as a solo track, it probably got more plays in America uh, than, it, than it ever got in the UK, uh, for whatever reason. It just, it just didn't fit at the time. You know, sometimes you find yourself swimming upstream against what everyone else is doing. Other times you find yourself getting whooshed downstream away from what everyone else is doing. Mm. And I think this was the, uh, the, the latter. Okay, speaking about the same album, was the song you lied about anyone specific? Uh, yes, but I'm not saying who. Oh, that's my way of asking. Well, who was the song you lied about? Oh, right. Yeah, uh, don't worry about it. Yeah, I've got to answer it, okay. Uh, yeah, well, I'm not answering it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> do you like the way I, I pose the question to make it seem it's like very I was good, asking? Though. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do like, do like that. that yeah, Who impressed you most during the Prince's Trust concerts that you're the musical director for? Oh, oh, you know what? Um, well, the, the people you'd expect to be brilliant were brilliant. Um, I think I think probably, um, I don't know, uh, I'm going to say Mick Khan, because Mick, Mick Khan from Japan because uh, I got I got Mick to do a few of the Princess Trust things, and um, and he's not what you'd call an established, uh, you know, formatted musician. Mick claims that he didn't know what he was playing. He would he would feel the notes on his fretless bass, and to see him standing up there, you know, side by side with the likes of you know Clapton or Mark Knopfler or you know whoever was was there uh, was was amazing. And he was he was in the band on the first Prince's Trust concert that I ever did. 
which is the one where uh, Pete Townsend was uh, was in charge of the band, and Sir George Martin was musical director, and that's where we first met. And I was hugely impressed with Mick and the sound and the style that he played with. It was just incredible. Biggest professional disappointment of the 80s? My biggest professional disappointment of the 80s? Oh, I, um, I, I honestly don't know. I, you know. I've said on many an occasion, even, even the bad bits of my life have been pretty good. So disappointments, there's, there's always disappointments. And it's usually about songs not reaching people, just not getting to people, not resonating with people. Um, so that's just a, a, an artist's age-old gripe. Um, but a disappointment. Oh, I, I think my big disappointment was that when I did a duet with Kate Bush, um, I never got to see her singing her part. She did it in her studio, and I'd love to have been there, like flying the wall, you know, sitting watching her, multi-tracking her voice, singing one of my songs. So that would have been great. That's but, a fantastic you know. song. But you were there when she actually played it for you. Yeah, when she I, played she, it. I went over to her studio when she played it for me, and I, I have to say, I. A little tear appeared in my eyes. Okay. What is your favourite Kate Bush song out of interest? Uh, I'm going to say Man with a Child in His Eyes, but almost impossible to choose. Mm. Okay. Your best professional moment of the 80s? Best professional moment? Um, uh, I think when I, was <laughs> when, when I was doing one of the Prince's Trust uh, shows, and I was musical director, and uh, I had Peter Gabriel on doing Sledgehammer, and um, and I was in the dressing room with the band, including Phil Collins, because he always hung out with the the guys backstage. And uh, and one of the Bee Gees managers came in uh, screaming, asking to speak to who the effing you know musical director was. <laughs> and I said, "The effing musical director is me. Uh, what would you like to know?" And it came up and and kind of screamed in my face that it just found out that the BGs weren't top of the bill. And I informed them there was no top of the bill. You know, um, everyone's equal on the show. Um, but Peter Gabriel was finishing the show because he couldn't, had a number one record. <laughs> it's like a huge record. And he was telling me what to do. And like, blah, blah, blah. and, uh, and I, I, my proudest moment was telling him where to go. I said, you can take your band <laughs> and you can buck it off back to wherever you came from. I don't need the BGs on here. Thank you very much. We've got a fantastic lineup. Then five minutes later, the other manager came in and saying, "Oh, we're as happy as you know pie. Don't worry about it. He's just a bit grumpy." Blah blah blah. So I just thought that was just wonderful. Of course, the moment the first manager walked out, this roar went up in the dressing room, and all the musicians <laughs> going, "Yes!" You know. So uh, I think that was a proud moment. I'm not. I don't get scathing very often, but I think that was that was justified. And you came out on top. The Eternal Jukebox. We have a thing called the Eternal Jukebox where our guest gets to pick three of their songs from the 80s that gets kept for all eternity. So you lose all your songs apart from three. Which three songs from your 80s would you keep? Um, uh, Vienna's got to be um, just because of the nature of what it is. Um, I would say um, these these have to be released songs. These have to be singles, I presume, yeah? But anything that was released in the eighties, yeah. 
anything was released, anything, not just mine. Of yours, that you're involved of with. Of mine, right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say uh, uh, Lament uh, yes. by Ultravox. Um, and I'm going to say uh, The Damn Don't Cry uh, Visage. Yeah. Interesting. Why that last one? Um, I've fallen in love with it again. Um, there's a horrible middle eight section in it. There's a, there's a horrible <laughs> bit. Uh, but I, I, that, uh, that I, I kind of like it again. I've played it again and, uh, and recently, uh, kind of acoustically. And, uh, you know, when, I, when I've finished making something, I very rarely go back and listen to it again. But I had to go back and listen to that to relearn the chords. Uh, and, I, and I thought, you know what? It's not a bad song. Uh, I'm quite pleased with that. Finally, your three words to describe your 80s. My 80s, um, experimental, uh, uh, vivacious, mm-hmm. um, I think glorious says it all. It was a, a glorious period uh, for, for music. Uh, it was, it, songwriting was king. Uh, electronics had just appeared. Uh, you know, everyone was off experimenting a bit with, uh, with these new toys. It was just an exciting period. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. It's 31 minutes past, so we've, I've gone one minute over. So I hope that's okay. <laughs> I can't you thank you enough. Four questions at the end as well. I've got my there four questions go. in. Yeah, I, I planned five minutes before the end to make sure I got them in because I had to get them in. I can't <laughs> thank you enough for doing this, Midge, because like, you're an absolute absolute nice. pleasure. It's been fun. So, okay, thanks a lot, Midge. You take care. All right, thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you very much. So that was a great thrill speaking to Midge. Um, so thanks to Midge. Huge thanks to Erica for setting it up for me. Really appreciate that. And also thanks to John at the Hustle podcast for showing me the way. Uh, he's done an interview with Midge. I think he had an hour with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing the career overview interview. So do check that out. I'm glad Midge chose Rage and Eden and Lament as his favourite albums because they are my favourites as well. Yeah, you should definitely listen to those if you haven't. Uh, actually, all of their latest albums, all the Ultravox albums are good. Even their um, comeback album, brilliant, from 2012. That's a good album as well. And his solo stuff. So yeah, check them all out. Maybe we'll do more of these random questions, episodes, guests permitting. Uh, to finish, to finish. Um, well, it's hard to escape the V word when talking about Mature and Ultravox. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll close out with Vienna, but not, not the well-known version. Um, 
See, I thought he'd be more impressed during the interview that I didn't ask him about Vienna, Band Aid, because I've listened to so many interviews with Midge over the years, and it's always so Vienna, so Band Aid, so Live Aid. I thought he'd be, um, he'd appreciate not being asked those questions for once. We all finished with Vienna, um, but this is the version by Vic Reeves. And for those outside of the UK, Vic was a popular club singer of the 90s. So mystic and soulful. Uh, so enjoy. I know a place I know a place in a foreign land Name of Belgium Stinks, but the people think they think that it doesn't. They think that it doesn't, but it does. I'm telling you, it stinks. Yes, in tongue and dress Put a smile on the face of the Belgian police As they inter me and me family Inter me and me family My cup overflows with a Viennese gin And I signal for more And a waiter arrives with a fox With a fox in a cardboard box What is this? I cry Well, they weep, they weep But they never sleep The Belgian police, the Belgian police They weep, they weep But they never sleep Cause of the noise of the trains And hello Sue I'm Tortellini <laughs> Not at all Nice to do business with you Alright Alright Mrs Godfrey uh, Show in the two gentlemen please And you're... You're. No, you're... You're. I see. How do you do? I'm a merchant banker. Um, how do you do, Mr... Uh, I forget my name for the moment, but I am a merchant banker. Now, what can I do for you? Um, well, we were... We were wondering if you, I don't know, might like to contribute something towards our Ethiopian famine appeal, perhaps. Well, I don't want to show my hand too early, but um, I can tell you that here at Slater Nazi, we are... <laughs> we are very keen to get into Ethiopians, you know, developing market and all that. Um, what sort of sum did you have in mind? 
How about oh, a pound? A pound, I see. And this loan would be secured... Uh, it's, uh, it's not a loan, sir. What? No, it's not a loan. Oh. Uh, you get uh, one of these, so... It's a bit small for a share certificate, isn't it? <laughs> um, look, I think the best thing would be for me to run this over to our legal department. If you could come back possibly on uh, Wednesday... Do you, I mean, do you really have to do that? Couldn't you just give us the pound? Yes, but what's it for? A gift. A what? A gift. Oh, a gift! A tax dodge! No. No, no, no. Look, no I'm no. sorry, I just don't understand. We want you to give us a pound, mm. and then we go away and give it to the Ethiopians. Yes? Well, that's it. I don't want to appear stupid, but it looks to me as though I'd be a pound down on the deal. Well, um, yes, yes you are. I am? But what's my incentive to give you the pound? Well, the incentive is to stop people dying of starvation. Oh dear, are you sure you've got this right? <laughs> yeah, lots of people give us money. They do? Yeah. Um, you don't have a list of their names and addresses, do you? <laughs> no. We just go up to them in the street and we ask. Good Lord! That's the most exciting new idea I've heard in simply years. It's so simple, it's brilliant. Well, if that idea of yours isn't worth a pound, I don't know what is. Ah, but the trouble is, you gave me that idea before I'd given you the pound, didn't you? So, um, off you go. Oh, and another thing. If you want people to take you seriously, for God's sake, get a bloody haircut. <laughs> Told you she made a record. I am sick of making <laughs> records. <laughs>